Welcome to another edition of Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold, and sadly, I won't be joined today by Dylan Keniston. Uh, Dylan is currently moving, so he's uprooting his family, and they'll be relocating to uh, about an hour, hour and a half uh, away from here. So he's in a uh, very busy uh, season of his life, so he regrets that he can't... um, record with me uh, for a couple of times, but uh, we do plan on getting back together again once he gets settled. So uh, please be praying for Dylan as he uh, tries to get everything transferred over, as uh, their their new house uh, uh, needs a little bit of work to get fully up and running. So he's going to uh, be doing a lot of that as well. So, so be praying for that, and uh, hopefully in the next uh, month or so, We'll be able to get back on track, but in the meantime, I wanted to uh, do a recording on the topic of God's judgment or God's wrath. So, this is going to be a pretty um, text-intensive uh, discussion or or a study. I'm going to look at several large chunks of text. So, um, if you do have a Bible available to you, I would encourage you to open it up. Because uh, it's not easy to talk about God's judgment and to make sure that you do it in in an accurate and fair way. Um, And one reason is because when we talk about God's judgment, a lot of people, uh, and myself included, our first thought is to look at, well, God's judgment is, you know, fire and brimstone. It's locusts. It's the ten plagues of Egypt. You know, it's, it's things like that. It's very immediate, and it's very eye-opening, and clearly supernatural. Now, I do want to admit that that, that type of judgment is in the Bible, but there's actually, I, and this is just my categorization, when I look at God's judgment, how I've tried to break it down is that there's two types that I seem to see throughout Scripture. The one type is kind of an active, uh, direct punishment by God, and by this I mean those locusts, uh, fire from heaven, earthquakes, uh, natural disasters, uh, things like that. Um, and then there's a passive or more indirect punishment by God, and I, I call it passive because um even though it's obviously God's decision and he's choosing to do it and it's all part of his plan, it is God letting go of the reins, if you will. So basically um, giving people over to uh, their deception, to idolatry, um, and people begin destroying themselves and they destroy the image of God. Essentially it's God removing his common grace or common benevolence from people so that they do end up acting as bad as they could. They do end up just going down the path that they already wanted to go down, but God had been holding them back. So those are kind of the two categories of of judgment, but I'm going to only focus on the first one this episode. Maybe we will get to the um, second one later on. So let's take a look at uh, the active punishment, active judgment of God, which is in the form of uh, natural disasters. Um, diseases, uh, things like that. Now, 
I think you can also further divide um, active punishment into two categories. You have the quick, the immediate uh, judgment, and that is, you know, the ten plagues of Egypt, as an example. And then you have the slow, okay? And that's one that a lot of us don't really think about too often, but the slow and steady judgment of God using natural phenomena, using diseases, natural disasters, and things like that. So, let me give an example. Our first text that we're going to look at is from the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 27 through 30. So this one's kind of a short passage. But here is what God says to Moses about what he's going to do to the Canaanites before Israel enters the land. All right, so he begins in verse 27. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. So we'll stop there. So we see in this passage that God does not want to um, remove the people of Canaan too quickly, or else it would become full of wild beasts and become desolate. So he's going to do a, a slow uh, driving out of of the people there. And even though we often think of God's punishment against the Canaanites as, well, that's Israel. Israel comes in swiftly and wages war and basically kills everyone, and that is God's judgment. And I would say it's part of God's judgment, but um, a lot of times we maybe we haven't really paid attention to that passage. It's a, it's a very short passage, but it's still, it, it's important to consider that God is slowly driving out the people of the land in preparation for Israel to enter. Now, let's kind of jump forward to Leviticus uh, chapter 20, uh, chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. So again, fairly short passage. Now, this is, this is another uh, a passage that speaks about God getting rid of or or bringing judgment to the people of Canaan. So not Israel. This is before Israel enters the land. But here's what God has to say about... Now, and, and by the way, in this context, he has just given Israel laws concerning sexual behavior. And here's what he says at the end of that passage after he's listed out all these laws. He says in verse 24, Do not make yourselves unclean. By any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. 
For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So, we see here that the people that lived in the land before Israel, even though they had never been given a prophet, they had not been given the Ten Commandments or the law, they're being held accountable for their behavior, um, their most wicked and abominable behavior. And it's because of their behavior that they have become unclean, and so has the land. And the land is vomiting, and some translations say spewing. And if you can just think of, like, in your mind, the picture of something nasty in your mouth that you just have to get out of your mouth as quickly as possible, you spew it out of your mouth. And so God is saying that the land is doing that to the people of Canaan. It is spitting them. It's spitting the people out of its mouth. All right, so that's kind of a, a foretaste. We see a little bit of of that God's judgment, that slow judgment and against the Canaanites. And oh, by the way, that judgment took hundreds of years because uh, God had even said to Abraham 400 years prior that the iniquity of the Amorites, the, Can- the Canaanites, was not yet complete. So, God was waiting for that time to be fulfilled in which then he would bring judgment. But then we'll go a few chapters ahead to Leviticus chapter 26. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, there's two chapters or two primary chapters in the first five books of the Bible that speak about God's warnings to Israel. So, these are... Um, these are his warnings. He gives blessings and he gives curses for disobedience to the people of Israel. One time we see it in Leviticus and one time we see it in Deuteronomy. So we're going to look at two parts of these curses, if you will. If Israel were to disobey and turn away from God, this is what God says he will do to them. So uh, in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 18 through 22, here's what he says. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron, and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield its fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. Now let's pause and we'll go to the parallel passage uh, of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 28, which is also a list of the uh covenant punishments for disobedience. Um, Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, starting in verse 23. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Okay, so these two passages We see God doing something to the land, making the sky as iron and the earth as bronze. And 
the picture that we get there is just a hardening, if you would. So, you know, metal is very difficult to work with and to make it do what you want. So there's a sense in which uh, the land and the sky will harden itself against the people of Israel and to become difficult to work with and it will not yield its increase. Uh, the rain to be reduced like powder, right? So there's something that's going to happen naturally, um, including wild beasts, that's going to reduce the population of Israel and eventually get them out of the land or weaken them to the point that they can be, um, I guess, fully dealt with by some other power, such as Babylon or Syria. Now, and if we zoom forward to the time of the prophets, we'll see that these things begin to happen uh, with Israel because of their, their sin. So let me go ahead and get to Jeremiah. Now, I'm not going not gonna to touch on every single example of God using this kind of language. But it's important that we see uh, how God uses it as he warns and disciplines the people of Israel over the course of many, many years and centuries because of their sin. Now, here is Jeremiah chapter 9. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. That, it might, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor, and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves, committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression, and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor. But in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Shall I, shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? I will take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and a lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness, because they are laid waste so that no one passes through, and the lowing of cattle is not heard. Both the birds of the air and the beasts have fled and are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. So, there, I kind of wanted to highlight you know, because of the sin of the people of Israel, in this case, of pure deception and uh, just chasing after one sin after another, God is is bringing judgment upon them. And part of that judgment is 
the sound of the cattle is no longer heard, and the birds of the air and the beasts have gone, have fled. And does that mean they've migrated? Does that mean they've been hunted out of existence? Does that mean that the population has, de- has declined? They've started going extinct? I don't know. But God is saying something about the dwindling of the birds and the beasts. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit later. Um, in fact, um, we're going to see a parallel passage take place in the uh, book of Hosea. So let me bring up Hosea chapter 4. Now, Hosea has a lot of judgment passages, but we'll just look at this one. So Hosea chapter 4 is kind of a very firm, and there's some pretty significant language here. So for those of you who are listening with children, uh, young children uh, perhaps consider... uh, you know, pausing this for later, but I mean, this is the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, so I'm just going to read Hosea chapter 4, so just, you know, pay it, you know, just just be warned of that there. All right, chapter 4, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied, and they shall play the whore but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the top of the mountains and burnt offerings in the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty, enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them? Like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. 
When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. All right, so we'll stop there. That's Hosea chapter 4. So some pretty strong language there. Um, perhaps, perhaps some language that may be applicable to our own time. But what's interesting is that, and this is what I want to focus on, is that just like Jeremiah, God talks about the land mourning because of, now, because of what? Is it because of some of those small uh, sins, uh, those small laws, if you will, in the Old Testament, you know, trimming the corners of your beard, eating shellfish, things like that. Is that why God is bringing judgment? No, it's because of swearing, lying, murdering, stealing, and adultery. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. So really, almost the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments. And uh, I might want to add, those are the same things that God had judged the people of Canaan for before Israel entered the land. And it's because of these pretty significant sins that the land is mourning, okay? And everything who lives in the land is languishing. And God also says, also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. So we see beasts, birds, and fish are all taken away. Now, what does that mean? Again, is it depopulation, extinction? Is it migration? No one can say for sure. Um, But in this context, uh, it's a form of judgment. And God also says in verse 4, don't let anyone accuse Okay, so the tendency is going to point fingers, like the land is mourning, everything is is going badly, and so the tendency is for the people of God to point fingers, right? Oh, it's their fault, it's this one's fault, you know, it's it's God's fault, you know, whatever, you know, El Nino, climate change, it doesn't matter. The point is, is God says, no, 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 it's the priests, it's their fault. My contention is with you, O priest. Okay, so he's speaking to basically, in this, in this context, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, the ones who are doing the accusing. Okay, they're pointing the finger, but God says, no, it's, it's actually you. The problem is with you. Now, I'll do one more passage from, uh, uh, with regards to God's judgment of Israel, and it's going to be from the book of Joel, verse, well, this is chapter 1. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing. Well, what I'll do is, it's pretty long. Uh, I want to read just a couple, a couple portions here. Well, actually, you know what? This is actually this is actually a good one. This one, well, they're all really good. It's God's word, of course, but this one has a lot in it that involves um, natural disasters. So let's just read through Joel chapter one, and then we'll we'll discuss and, and bring some application. All right. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days, or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine. 
because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and the gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather all the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off from before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down, because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan! The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. All right, so we'll stop there. So in Joel chapter 1, we actually see... Um, a lot of different types of judgment. We see locusts, God just bringing one um, insect after another to devour the land. Uh, we see that God uh, uh, reduces the yield of the grain and the and the harvest and the barley, um, and even the fruit trees. Everything is a is a sense of drying up, and you know there's obviously some connotations of of, of a drought there, but also a drying up involved, you know, not bearing fruit, okay? And then we also see that even the animals, <clears throat> excuse me, are perplexed, right? The, the, the beasts are groaning, okay? And they're perplexed because there's no pasture for them, and the flocks of the sheep are suffering. And God then talks about bringing fire. <clears throat> now, what kind of fire is this? Is it fire from invasion, from Babylonians or Assyrians bringing torches? It doesn't seem like it. It's a, it's a drying up of the water brooks and a fire that devours the pastures of the wilderness. The wilderness. So, so it seems like, you know, you could have wildfires being spoken of here. So there's definitely a lot of, lot of problems going on that the people of Israel are, are dealing with. And God is saying that this is all part of his judgment against them. So now let's let's try to bring some application here. So we've seen we've seen passages that speak about uh, God's judgment against people who are not Israel. We've seen passages that speak about um, 
God's warning to Israel. And, you know, maybe the temptation is to say, well, these are all they, all, they all have to do with God's people. This is not how God would work against other nations. Well, and that's just honestly not true. I mean, we, we said before that God used this language um, against uh, the land of Canaan. And there's other passages. Um, Jeremiah chapter 50 is a, is a prophecy against Babylon where God speaks about sword and drought coming upon them and that their city is going to be populated with wild animals. Okay, so it's going to be reduced in population. And then Ezekiel 29 um, speaks about God's judgment of Egypt. So this is, this, is, this is not the ten plagues of Egypt, which is another example, of course, but this is God's judgment of Egypt later on. This is after Israel's already been established for many years. And God says he's going to judge Egypt because of its pride and of its haughtiness and uh, as a result of its treatment of Israel. And, the, and God says he's going to cut off the Nile from the land. He's going to dry up the Nile. It's going to become desolate and ruined. And that um, the people of Egypt are going to be given as, as food to the birds and to the beasts, right? So, so we see that. Um, and then we also see... Um, in the book of Revelation. Now, uh, it's really hard to suggest that Revelation is only talking about people of Israel or people of God because it's a judgment against the earth. And it's Revelation chapter 6, and I'm just going to read one section of the, the, third, the third seal that's open. So Revelation 6, verses 5 uh, and 6. Uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm I mis- mistaken. So verses uh, verses seven, it's the fourth, it's the fourth, the fourth horse, right, of the apocalypse, right. So Revelation chapter six, verse seven, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, "Come," and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. And so we see this category of four things, right? Sword, so that's war. Famine, obviously, uh, lack of food, you know, you can include drought with that. Pestilence, you got disease, and wild beasts of the earth. So you have the, the creatures, the animals, if you would. So that is obviously a judgment against the world, uh, not just God's people. Um, and it's clearly due to sin. It's not just because God feels like it. So what am I trying to bring out in all these passages there? Well, what's interesting is that we see that God does work through natural events. He, he, he uses earthquakes, pestilence, beasts, you know, perhaps, you know, volcanoes, tornadoes, all, all these things to bring judgment. Now, but sometimes it's sudden and quick, just like Egypt. Okay, that was a very quick form of judgment. But I would say most of the time when you read through it in Scripture, and the, the prophets, um, and even in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the warnings, it's actually not sudden. And God says it's not going to be sudden. Um, and it's, it's a displacement. It's a slow displacement. It took, for, in the case of Israel, it took hundreds of years for Israel to be finally removed from the land. It wasn't just that Assyria all of a sudden showed up on their borders 
and swept them away. I mean, that did happen, but it took decades of God being patient with Israel, giving them warning, and slowly them being displaced, the land vomiting them out, and eventually, kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, or the last act was the was the violence, was the invasion. And it's, it's interesting because that's the same pattern that was used against the people of Canaan before Israel came in, right? So God even says that I'm going to send basically nature, the hornets, before you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be slow. It's going to drive them out. And it's kind of preparing the land, preparing the battlefield, if you will, for Israel to come in with the sword and to sweep away with victory. Again, that happened with Babylon. It happened with Assyria. God brought judgment, usually in the form of natural judgment, natural disasters, to Israel long before Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed everything and took the people into exile. So um, it's really just those final invasions are kind of like the last, the, the climax, if you will, the last battle, the last instrument that God uses to bring judgment upon the people of Israel. So now that's just a pattern that we need to pay attention to in scripture. Now, and oh, oh, by the way, that same pattern is repeated in Revelation because God brings judgment on the earth. And what does he, what is the final thing that God does in Revelation? Jesus comes with the sword to, to judge all the nations and to end it all and to rescue his people. So everything that God does using natural means is the capstone of it. The final thing is the sword is conquest, is, uh, is, is judgment, the final judgment. And this judgment is a specific kind of judgment. So we see that happening in Revelation uh, as well. So anyways, uh, what's the big picture of all this? What, you know, what is it, what's it all about? Well, if you do a comparison of the judgment language and just look to the book of Genesis, look at how God creates the world, you'll see that it's interesting um, judgment is a form of decreation, a reversal of creation, kind of a, uh, a turning the clock backwards, if you will. So, uh, for an example, in Genesis, we see God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the sky, the seas, and the land, right? And then he populates them. He fills them with the birds, with the beasts, and with the fish. And then, um, and this is, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, okay, and, and fill the earth. Well, when God brings judgment, we see in Joel and, and other passages, Hosea, we see that God reduces the population of those things. He says, the birds and the beasts and even the fish of the sea are taken away. They flee. And again, we can talk about why, but at the end of the day, it's God's, it's God's judgment, that's why they're fleeing. That's why they're being uh, taken away. Um, and so we have a, de a depopulation, a decreation, a reversal of Genesis there. Um, and then we also see uh, the God kind of lets the curse take its full force. So from the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God curses the ground. 
and says, well, the ground is not going to yield its fruit very easily. You're going to have to toil. You're going to have to work hard to get the fruit by the sweat of your brow. You're going to work. And the land is going to produce thorns and thistles. So you have a lot a lot of more difficult job to do. Well, interestingly, that's the same the same thing. What happens in judgment is God makes it even harder. He amplifies it. He turns it up in a way. He removes his help, his mercy, his common grace. And that's where the language of the ground becomes like bronze and the sky becomes like iron. You know, the work that you do, the, the, the ground will not yield its increase. Um, the, the, the wheat and the barley, it's not going to come. The rains, they're not going to come. They're going to be like they're going to be like dust to you. Um, and all this is going to be, it's going to be so hard to get food, you won't be able to. And you're going to reduce in population, and you're going to starve and, and face famine and thirst. So there you have that. Now, the last portion is, is, you know, God stirs up the land against the people. You have this concept of beasts and locusts and hornets and all these things. And and that's interesting because, um, again, kind of wrapped into, and this is both this is both um, uh, God's discussion with Adam and His discussion with Noah. Because with Adam, we see that the land is going to produce thorns and thistles, and we and so there's a sense in which, yeah, all of nature is at war with mankind. But then in, in Noah, and and later on in the covenant with Noah, God says that He's going to put the fear of animals upon. I'm just going to put the fear of man upon the animals. So there's going to be this almost this greater this greater enmity, this greater conflict between uh, animals, between nature and mankind. Um, and so we kind of see that taken to its extreme with God's judgment, with the hornets and the locusts and the beasts attacking and uh, again depopulating humans. So really. It's the removal of humans from the land. And so the interesting point is that because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, and because of continued sin, the land groans against the sin of mankind. And we see this actually referenced by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. Uh, so if you go to Romans 8, verse 18 through 23, here's what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what is Paul saying there? What Paul is saying is that we, as God's people, are groaning because we still live in this corrupt body, with pain and difficulty and suffering, and we're waiting for our final redemption when God comes and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth and raises 
uh, God's people from the dead. But then we also see that creation is groaning, as in the chains of, of childbearing. And it wants, it's waiting for final redemption. So we see that this is true for the whole world. But this is also true in kind of like a microcosm on like a day-to-day level. The world is groaning and even certain parts of the world, world groan more than others. Why is that? Because of sin. Now, we've all sinned and there's sin throughout the entire world. But some parts are worse than others. And we see that God brings judgment against his people and against the world. And he holds his people accountable because they should have known better. So Israel got a far worse uh, language, if you will, of judgment, because they had, they had the Bible, they had God's word, they had the prophets and the priests and the kings, and they had land, and they should have known better. Now, does that that mean that uh, Egypt and Babylon are off the hook? Not at all. They get judged in the same way, right? But the point is, is that and that sin results in judgment. And, and this makes sense because as the land falls deeper into sin, the groaning increases, kind of like what Joel pointed out. Joel chapter 1 uses the same language, groaning. Even the beasts are groaning and they're perplexed because there's no pastor for them. Um, sin revol- results in warfare and separation. In the, in the garden, it was God versus man, Man versus man and man versus nature. But guess what? As sin increases in the land, that becomes worse and worse and worse. Man versus man, there's more murder, there's more stealing, there's more adultery. Uh, Man versus nature, there's more locusts, there's more hornets, and there's more pestilence and drought and famine. So, in a way, the land is fighting back because of our sin. And kind of like the language of vomiting and spewing, right? So the people of Canaan were spewed or vomited out of the land. The land, it could no longer keep them. It, it, it could no longer stand having them inside of it, in its mouth, right? And so in the same way, as sin and wickedness and depravity increase, we see in Scripture that the land begins to fight back. So uh, just as God cursed the ground and, 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 and he, in a way, Adam was vomited out of the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out. They were exiled out. So too does that theme continue. As the people sin, the ground is cursed and the ground fights back and the people are vomited out of the land, right? So um, these, this is important stuff that we need to consider. This is a theme that God does not stop using. Because this theme is culminated in the book of Revelation. Now, what does this mean for us? I mean, does this mean that every attack of wild animals is a judgment? Every tornado or hurricane or, I mean, goodness, the coronavirus, is that a form of judgment? And that one we have to be careful about. Because on the one hand, all of these problems is the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. That Adam and Eve sinned, and all of creation is groaning. That's true. But, what about, does God still bring judgment against nations, similar, similarly to how he did it in the Old Testament? I would say yes. 
There's nothing in here that indicates that he that that's changed. But does that mean that everything is a judgment? We got to be careful about that because the answer is no. We have Job. Job himself is a perfect example of this. He's struck by disease, boils on his skin. He's struck by natural disaster. The great wind that blows the four corners of his, ho- the, of his children's house and collapses. He's also struck by the sword. Okay, the Chaldeans come and they take his stuff and they kill his servants. So, so we need to be very careful before we point the fingers and say, well, that's just clearly God's judgment. But what we can say is this. When there is... Uh, pain and suffering and, and disease and natural disaster. Um, it could be, it could be judgment for our sin. It could be um, testing, just like with Job. Okay, um, it could be uh, many of those things. But I think the best uh, uh, answer. I mean, and it even could be the result of our own sin, right? It could be self-induced. Self, you know, if uh, if we are destroying things, if we're committing sin, sometimes our behavior has uh, second, third, fourth order effects that we end up end up feeling. Um, but I think probably the best answer to this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, because this passage, Luke 13, 1 through 5, is, is I think, an answer to all of them. Here's what it says. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what is he talking about? Well, <clears throat> the people of Galilee, or I guess were, or the people there, were talking about how Pontius Pilate had basically killed these Galileans and had mingled their blood with their sacrifices, which is pretty disgusting and pretty messed up. And Jesus is saying, are you suggesting that Galileans are worse because they suffered this horrible fate? Is that, did they deserve it? And then he says, what about this tower in Siloam? So apparently this, you know, this building collapsed uh, in Israel. This tower in Siloam fell and killed 18 people. Were were they somehow more wicked? Is that why they got this kind of punishment? And Jesus in both cases says, no, no. Really, the answer is, unless you repent, you are also going to die. Just to summarize, you know, that's, you know, so Eric's, Eric's version of it, I mean, you will likewise perish, right? You're going to die unless you repent, right? And so I think the point is, is that we must always be looking at ourselves and the log in our own eye before we go about saying, well, that was, you know, that's just their sin and that's why this judgment's coming. No, 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 no. Ask about your own sin first. Um, So Jesus isn't saying that those things aren't a form of judgment or that God does not use those things as judgment. But what he wants people to be careful about is pointing the finger and blaming others and saying that they're wicked and that's why they got this. And that's not, that's not true. Um, 
We need to repent first, or else we will likewise perish. We will die from from Pontius Pilate mixing, you know, from government leaders persecuting us, or we will die from towers falling on us, okay? We will likewise perish unless we repent. And so, what does this have to do with today? How how do we as, as Christians in America, uh, you know, apply this? Well, we need to think about the coronavirus. Is the coronavirus a form of judgment? I don't know. It, it very well could be. It could be a testing. The, uh, it could be, will we trust in God? You know, it's kind of like Job, you know, as Job said, you know, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Is it a, you know, God testing us like, listen, you need to turn to me, you need to trust in me, um, even in the face of this iniquity, face of this uh, pestilence, you need to trust in me. Maybe, maybe it is that. And I would say that should be uh, one thing we should consider. But is it a form of judgment? You know, we should ask ourselves, is, are we uh, just wallowing in iniquity upon iniquity? Um, and I would say, you know, one of the first things we should do is always seek to repent. Like, is there undealt with sin going on in our lives? And I do this on a personal basis, too. Like, if I'm, if I'm facing something, some kind of physical ailment or, or difficulty, like, I ask myself, like, Lord, reveal to me any iniquity in me. Uh, any wickedness in me that I might repent of. It might not be because of that, but how else, honestly, how does God get people's attention in throughout all of Scripture? Throughout all of Scripture, it's through these natural means. It's through the locusts and the pestilence. I mean, think about it. Like, that's exactly how um, he got the attention of Egypt. Yes, was it a judgment against Egypt, the ten plagues? Yes, it was. But he also got their attention. He said, I'm going to show my power to them so that they will let my people go, right? So uh, we, need to, we need to keep that in mind, and this needs to be done on an individual level and as a, on a collective level, as a group level, on a national level, uh, tearing, you know, tearing the clothes, putting on sackcloth, repenting as a nation, just like Nineveh did as a city uh, when Jonah came to them and, and prophesied judgment. They... They repented as a as a people um, there. So uh, we just need to keep that in mind. So um, again, I'm not trying to say that the coronavirus is, oh, it's God's judgment. Everyone who gets it is, uh, is because they're sinners. No, it's way more complicated than that. But it all does stem back to the creation is groaning because of sin. Um, and what about climate change? Um, I, we don't have time to get into that today, but that's worth discussing. Like, I'm not saying that that, you know, there could be uh, problems due to um, uh, too much hunting, too much fishing, uh, you know, housing developments, you know, poor, poor farming practices, pesticides, whatever the case may be. But you know what, we can probably argue those things with regards to God's law, and we need to, we need to compare that, okay, this behavior, how is it in, comp- and is it in compliance with God's law? And if not, then yes, I would categorize it as as sin, because anything that's breaking God's law is sin. So if you're going to sin, if you're going to break God's law, and there are some laws that speak about uh, treatment of your animals and taking care of the land, there is some laws about that, then yeah, when you sin, maybe uh, the, the depopulation of your fish and your birds and things like that is because of your bad practices. But I would also say 
God says it's about, it's also partially his judgment. And keep this thing in mind, is that when we might say, well, you know, climate change is because of, you know, greenhouse gases and, and all these, you know, pollutants and whatnot. But just keep in mind, we're talking about the book of Joel in the ancient Israel. They were an agrarian society. They were not industrial. There were none of those pollutants like that. Uh, but God still speaks of climate change, drought, and famine. And um, he still speaks of, uh, of wildfires. And he speaks of depopulation of the birds and the beasts and the fish. Is that, is that, so, and how would that make sense to an agrarian society? Like, it would make sense, how, how could that even happen to them? They don't have the pollutants that we have. They don't have the industrialization that we have. But yet it happened to them. Why? Again, it goes back to a form of God's judgment. And so before we, again, it's actually just like, just like God's warning to the priests of Israel. Don't just point the finger at, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's because of this. That's why we're losing our birds and our beasts and our fish. It's because of this. No, 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 God says. It's because of your iniquity. So I would say the same thing applies before any nation says, well, it's, um, it's the Christians, it's the Republicans, it's the Democrats, it's the capitalists, it's the businesses, it's the greenhouse gases. I would first say, whoa, 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 whoa. What does God say to, his, God say to people? He says, look at yourself first. You know, call out the, speck, the, the log in your own eye before you bring out the speck in the other's eye. And, um, and so, and, and even today, we might say, well, this is happening because of runoff. And, and I think, you know, Jesus would say, ah, uh, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So I think the answer at the end of the day is the gospel and repentance and turning to the Lord and actually seeking to adhere and look at his law and see how does his law call us to live in this world. Um, both as, a, as individuals, as families, and as nations, because I think it does matter at the end of the day. So anyways, uh, that's, you know, this has just been, I'm just trying to do a little bit of a study of God's judgment, and, and I'm thinking in the next episode, perhaps we'll look at uh, the other form of judgment that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of God giving thing, giving people over to their sin. So I hope this has been useful to you. I hope that you will reflect on this just as I have been uh, blessed by studying this and read these passages and look look at these themes and these these common things, this repetition. And, and, and God is telling us to pay attention because this happened at the beginning uh, in Genesis and it's, hap- it's going to happen at the end in Revelation. The same, the same theme is going to happen. So uh, with that, I hope this has been useful to you. If you have any questions, please email me at uh, twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com or go to uh, the Two Guys, Two Guys in a Bible website, just www.twoguysinabible.org, and you can submit uh, questions there. Um, we always are looking forward to support. If you go to patreon.com and search for uh, Two Guys in a Bible, so that would be the word two spelled out, guys in a Bible, uh, we would love your support. We are a listener-supported podcast, and we cannot do it without your help. So, Please, uh, uh, we would love that. Love thumbs up or stars or whatever the case may be uh, so that we can get out there and talk more about these things. So again, thank you for your time and I pray that the Lord be with you. Uh, God bless. God bless.